Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. Last Sunday was Easter. What a powerful celebration. Uh, the, the record everything, record attendance, record. Uh, I, I thought it was nine, but we had records from the prayer team. 11 people gave their heart to Jesus last week. Man, it was just so cool. Yay, God. So, so two weeks ago, I, I taught on a point of our culture here at Uncommon, and it's the concept that saved people serve people. And that, that one of the, the aspects of Uncommon Church is that we have a, a culture to serve, but that we don't see serving as work and labor and have to. We see serving God as an act of worship. And that we see serving God, that it is our spiritual duty to worship the Lord. It is an honor to worship God. We're excited about worshiping God. And we don't get burned out doing it if we do it as an act of worship. So many people are like, oh, I have to go do this thing for the church. Well, that's not an attitude of worship, so therefore it's exhausting. But if we would worship the Lord uh, in our serving God, then it's, it's, it's a joy. It actually brings refreshing to us. So another aspect of our culture um, is one that, I, to be honest, I've never taught this before. Now, it has been woven into the language of our, our staff and our pastors. It's something that Josie and I grabbed a hold of about five or six years ago, but I've never taught on it. So I need to teach you a culture point. So because I haven't taught on it, for some of you, this is going to be new. And it's going to be something that is like, hey, that's, that's pretty good. I could apply that to my life. So a little bit of pulling back the playbook of our church and teaching you some of our culture. So last week was Easter. Two weeks ago um, was our Passover celebration. And at, at Passover, we celebrate what God did in the book of Exodus, that the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt, and they cried out for deliverance, and God raised up Moses, and Moses delivered the people out of their slavery in Egypt, death passed over the Jewish people and they went through the Red Sea into the Sinai Desert um, because God was leading the people to their promised land, the, the nation of Israel, the land of Israel. So they were going to have to go out of Egypt through the Sinai Desert up to the nation of Israel. But along the way, the people rebelled against God. They rebelled against Moses. They ended up complaining about everything. They rejected God's plan because, you know, we know so much more than God does. So they rejected God's plan, and they actually said, we don't want to go to the promised land. We want to go back to Egypt and be slaves again. It sounds bananas because God took the people out of Egypt, but they didn't want Egypt to come out of their hearts. And we often will see that in people's lives. They'll come to church, they'll be inspired, they give their heart to the Lord. They're like, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And then a week later, they're sleeping with somebody they're not married to, they're high, they're drunk, they're looking at porn, they're flipping somebody off on 183. And it's like, I don't understand. I, I thought you came out of that slavery. And you're like, yeah, I just love being a slave to sin. So long story short, God didn't take those people into the promised land. It, it, it took 40 years for all of them to die off, and only two guys from a, over a million people made it into their promised land. And that's because these two guys, they lived by faith and not by sight. And they trusted God. So here's a little side note. Living by faith matters. Like, living by faith will open up doors to your promised land. Living by faith will, will, will live, help you to live longer. 
because God is going to take you into your promised land. You can't just live by your own intellect. You can't just live by fear because you're going to miss God's promise for your life. You'll be wandering around in a desert because you don't want to obey God's playbook for your life. God was giving them the laws to live by, and they rejected him. So speaking of these laws to live by, Moses was getting these downloads from heaven and he's writing it all down. And he's like, listen, these are the laws. These are the, the way we're gonna govern our society. And it was God that set up Israel's government. But the, the funny thing is God didn't want the people to have a king. God was their king and he would speak through the prophets. So that's the way God set up the nation of Israel um, to, to operate, that, that on the earth, he would give the, the, the nation of Israel prophets to speak on behalf of God, but that he would also give them judges to, to help to govern and to, to make rules and, and to help make sure the rules are abided by. But then, <clears throat> so they would handle the governing, and then they set up the tabernacle, and later they built a temple, but it was there that the priests would worship. And the priests were the ones that would handle all of the worship. So you had, you know, there wasn't meant to be a king. The people knew better. So they complained against God. And they said, listen, Moses, or actually it was later after Moses, but they said, listen, it's just weird that we don't have a king. Everybody else has a king. We want a king too, because we don't want to look peculiar. We don't want to look uncommon. We want a king like everybody else. So they did something really stupid in church. They took a vote. And God lost. Every time you take a vote of the people of God, God loses and the people's fears win out. It's pretty good preaching. So God relented and said, fine, you want a king? It's going to go terrible, but here you go. And he, he told the prophet Samuel, go anoint a guy named Saul to be king. And that began the downfall of Israel. Saul was king, and then David was king, and Solomon was king, and so on. But there were two separate offices. You had the office of the king, and they were to govern. They were to reign. They were to rule over the nation. But you also had the priests. They were still working in the tabernacle and later in the temple. So you had kings and priests that were working together to lead the nation. So the kings did the governing, and the priests, they did the worshiping. But the thing with the priests is that their, their worship was, was too directional because they would stand in between heaven and earth. They would stand between God and man. And sometimes the priests would minister on behalf of God to the people. They were like a lightning rod ministering the presence of God to the people of God. But sometimes they were also ministering to God on behalf of the people. The people wouldn't come into the presence of God. The people wouldn't make their sacrifices. The priests would minister to the Lord on behalf of the people. So there was this, this balance that, that took place that the kings would minister this direction and the priests would minister this direction. God would sometimes have an encounter with his people, but he would do it through the priests. So there was this, this, this tension that would always operate, but usually it went well, especially if the king was humble before God. You look at kings like, uh, it started out okay for King Saul and then it ended terribly, but look at ki like King Saul, King David, King Solomon, and fast forward, King Jehoshaphat, King Hezekiah, uh, go all the way to this, the boy king, King Josiah. When the king and the priest worked together, the nation of Israel was blessed and they were advancing and taking ground for the kingdom of Israel. 
So take that thought into the Old Testament and fast forward all the way to Revelation chapter 1 at the end of the book. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. It was written by the Apostle John, and at this time, John was elderly. He was, it was right before uh, John died, and he had this vision of heaven. And it, while he was having this vision, he was taken up into heaven, and he's seeing all these things. He's writing it all down. The Lord also showed him what the end of days was going to look like. So at the very beginning of the, the letter, John gives greetings and salutations to the reader, and then he said, this letter, it's from John. And it's also from Jesus Christ. Jesus and John co-wrote the book of Revelation. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn from the dead. And he is ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us, and this is important, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. It was he, Jesus, that made us Jesus' followers that have had their sins washed away, kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus is the ruler over the kings of the earth. Jesus is the king of kings. And Jesus loves us so much that he allowed his blood to be shed to wash away our sins. It didn't cover our sins, it removed our sins, and in doing so, it transformed who we are. We were created into being kings and priests to the glory of the Father forever. If you really think about what John just said, you'd be like, um, what you talking about? John and co-author Jesus, what do you mean we, the Jesus followers, are kings and priests. We are the church. We were sinners, but because of the blood of Jesus, we were forgiven of our sin, we were redeemed, we were sanctified, we were made holy. We were orphans, but because of the blood of Jesus and him forgiving us of our sins, he adopted us into his family. He is our loving father. We are a part of the family of God. Speaking of culture, I taught on this last month. We are the bride of Christ. We're not meant to just be servants and slaves and robots. We're meant to have this intimate, personal relationship with God. He refers to us as his bride. So when we became Jesus followers, it's just so much more than attending a church. We've been called to be his bride. We've been called to be his children. We've been called to be the redeemed. And now he's saying, you are called kings and priests for the Lord. This is a much deeper invitation than just attending a church. This is so much deeper than just listening to Caleb or Air One. Like, this is so much deeper than just having a Bible you read once a year or going to church on Christmas and Easter. He's saying, I'm calling you to govern on the earth on behalf of the King of Kings. I'm also calling you to minister to the Lord on behalf of the people in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm also calling you to represent God to the people in every room you walk into because you represent the King. What does represent? You represent Jesus into every room you walk into. You are called by God to be both king and priest. So to operate as a priest, you operate by faith. But to operate as a king, you operate by wisdom, organization, planning. It's not one or the other, it's both. 
So this is an uncommon culture point for us. It's something that we in the staff have discussed and we've been living by, but it's something that I need all of you to embrace. That in our culture, we have an uncommon love for an uncommon God. We serve in an uncommon manner. We have uncommon worship, uncommon generosity, uncommon holiness that saved people, served people, that every member of our church is a minister of the gospel, and we are kings and priests. Now, come on. Some people have a natural bent towards one or the other. Just naturally, the way God made your personality, the, the way God made your brain to work. Some of you are, are much more intellectual. Your brain is a calculator. You're always calculating, you're always thinking, you're planning, you have systems, you're operating like a king. You're a natural king. You, you do well in life, you do well in your success, you build a great big kingdom, a personal kingdom, and that's good. God made you like that. You are a king in God's kingdom, but that's only one part. You are also a priest. And for the priests, we operate by faith, not by sight. For, for the priests, it's we, many people are, have a, an easy bent towards being a priest. Let's look at our prayer team. Most of them are all priests. They, worship comes easy. Prayer comes easy. Intercession comes easy. The prophetic comes easy because they're, they're priests. They, they minister to the Lord. They minister on behalf of the people. They minister on behalf of the Lord. Ministry comes easy, but you're also a king. It's not one or the other. It's always both. So here's just a quick example of, as I was preparing this message this week, Josie and I have an opportunity for a ministry thing in, in May that was actually quite expensive. And we were asking the Lord for wisdom and we're just praying and stirring it up. And um, we said, Lord, you know, your will be done on the earth. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on the earth. So, we, you know, in Jesus name, amen, we were praying. And she said, what are you thinking? And I'm like, well, in the natural it's impossible because it's, we don't have the money. It's not like we're a little short. It's like we cannot afford it. It is out of the realm of possibility. So the king would say, it's not wisdom. Or it may be not wisdom right now. It's not a good idea. That's what the king would say. But just because we can't afford it doesn't mean it's not God's will. Because sometimes faith, the priest, needs to tell the king, thank you for your calculations, but I feel that God wants us to do this. So we're gonna take a step of faith, and then even though our intellect says no, our spirit says yes. And you tell reason to just take a step aside because faith is gonna step forward. And sometimes we need to learn the delicate balance between when we should be a king and when we should be a priest. And sometimes it's both at the same time. A biblical example will take you back to the Old Testament. And I won't have time to get into this story, maybe some homework for you. But this young man named Joseph was a Jewish kid who um, was prophetic. He was a priest. He had strong prophetic gifting. And he was, it's a long story, he's in Egypt. And he has this prophetic word that a famine is coming. And it's going to destroy all the land. So he gets an opportunity to tell the king, the pharaoh of Egypt. He says, listen, God spoke to my heart. There's a famine coming. We need to start saving all of the grain and food we can possibly get. So the king listened to him. He made him the governor of Egypt. So he's now in charge. He's now operating in a governmental capacity as a king. And they save all their food and all their grain for all these years. But then when the famine hit and the people were starving, Joseph sold the grain back to the people, therefore creating this unbelievable income, an avalanche of money, making Egypt more prosperous. 
operating as a king. So Joseph was operating as both a priest and a king. The funny thing about a priest, a priest would probably be moved with compassion. People are starving. We have food. Let's just give the food away. See, sometimes we need to learn when to be a king and when to be a priest, and sometimes it's both at the same time. Because if you only calculate things in your brain, you, you, you think about your life from an intellectual perspective, you'll never take a step of faith. Because faith will go far beyond reason and intellect. But if you only operate by faith and you never make a budget, you never plan, you might start some great thing for God, but you don't have the systems in place to sustain it until fruit that remains is created. So it's never one or the other, it's both, always working at the same time. That's how we advance the kingdom of God on the earth. We are kings and priests working together. The people that are most successful in life, most successful in their ministries, most successful in their marriages, most successful in their homes, are, have developed the maturity to be a king and a priest. Most people operate in one or the other. So we are invited into this tension that we would live between the tension of being a king and being a priest and having to learn the character and nature of God and having to learn when is our season to be a king and when do we step out in faith as a priest. Because sometimes we don't like the balance and, and we don't like having to determine which is which, so we'll jump into one ditch or the other. Well, God has made me intellectual and God has made me a person of reason, so I operate as a king. Bless hallelujah. But the Lord is inviting you to act like a priest as well. But then the priest people are over here like, I just love to feel the presence of God and rainbows and I have this dream and I'm giving you a prophetic word and you a prophetic word and you should be healed. Yeah, but God's also calling you to be a king. No, no, I love the presence ditch. This is where I belong. No, you're called to be both. You're a king and a priest. You're called to both. And God will always be nudging you and moving you out of the ditch that you're in. Because it's not one or the other, it's both. We're always moving back and forth. Sometimes we feel like, you know, I am just so privileged to be a servant, to be a bond servant, a slave to King Jesus. But then sometimes he's like, yeah, but I also want to be your best friend. And I just want to spend time with you. And I just want to invest my heart into you. And sometimes it's like, I just want to, I want to fear God and I want to honor him and I want to worship his holy reverence. And sometimes it's like, yeah, but I'm also a loving father and I want to invite you onto my lap because I want to cuddle and just play because I'm a father. There's this tension that we live with these two different ditches. We can't be all king, but we can't be all priest. We have to be both. The funny thing, it's easier to pick on the priestly people because priestly people are, are inspirational. They have all these amazing testimonies. God did this miracle of healing. God did this financial miracle. God spoke this prophetic word, this word of knowledge that was so clear. So they're rich spiritually, but financially they're poor. They're behind on their bills. There's piles of dirty laundry and piles of dirty dishes in their house. They're always showing up late for all their prophetic meetings and they're living their life unorganized without any direction. I'm glad you're a priest, but you're not just a priest. You're both a king and a priest. And kings aren't broke. And kings don't show up late. And kings aren't unorganized. But other believers, well, bless God. 
I know exactly when to be and where I'm supposed to be there. I have thought this thing through. I have planned, I have organized, I have invested, I have divested, I have strategized, I have implemented what God wants me to do. But you haven't led anybody to Jesus in 20 years. You have been worshiping out of obligation, but you haven't experienced his power and presence on your face at the altar. You have all of this wisdom, but you never step out in faith. You see the work that you do as work and not as ministry. Kings and priests see the work that they do as ministry. Sometimes we think we're being so spiritual, we take this great leap of faith. It's like, man, I'm, I'm pressing in as a priest. We're fasting, we're worshiping, we're interceding, we're crying out to God. But sometimes you need to realize that a king knows his authority and just steps out in the authority that was given to him. And sometimes the priests need to stop praying and just make a declaration based on the authority of the king of kings living on the inside of you. But sometimes it's the other way around. We're calculating, we've strategized, we've created a spreadsheet, we have plans, we have organized, we know what we're supposed to do, but we're still struggling for a breakthrough. Well, maybe you just need to throw all of that out the window, fall on your face and worship and pray and cry out to God. Because the king and priest needs to learn to be mature in both areas of their life because they'll learn to know what to do. And I'll also say this, if you're trying one and it's not working, try the other. Because when I do messages like this, king people are like, okay, I, I hear you, preacher. I could pray a little more. But priest people don't like this message. They're like, oh, the kings are going to step in and just try to rule and reign, and they're going to be working against the move of God. Do you really think that's how the kingdom of God works, that they work against each other? The king and priest scenario works best when they work together. Some homework for you would be 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Don't have time to get into it, so you'll read it and do it. Here's your homework. But the apostle Paul gives the king and priest culture to the church in Corinth. And he starts over here. He says, listen, I want all of you guys to prophesy. I want all of you guys to pray in tongues. I want all of you guys to minister the kingdom of power to one another. I want there to be signs and wonders and miracles that will make Jesus famous in Corinth. At the same time, in the same chapter, you've gotta have some order in the way you worship. And there needs to be an order to all of the messy things that God wants to do. Paul was creating a system for revival. In fact, it is the, the king's anointing that helps the priest's anointing and vice versa. And we often think of them working against each other, but they actually work best when they're in unity one with another because your kingdom will be limited by your priesthood and vice versa. You should write that down. Your kingdom won't go further than what your priesthood has paved the way spiritually for you to do. And your, your priesthood won't go further than what your kingdom has established the systems for it to handle. It's how you experience long-term revival is when you have the systems to manage it. It's like a wineskin. God says, man, I want to pour out a new wine. Kings love wineskins. Like, you're telling me that God is going to give us a system that is going to contain the weirdness of revival. Yes, okay, I love the wineskin. 
But often the Lord is like, I just, the prophetic people, I just feel the Lord in my heart is pouring out new wine. And these people are like, uh, thank you, we have a wine and we have a wineskin. Many churches are operating in an old wineskin from 20, 30 years ago, and the Lord is waiting to pour out new wine until they'll throw out the old wineskin. Too many times church leaders love the wineskin more than they love the new wine. So years ago, our church was stuck. I, I, I don't know, I guess we were about 150 people, and we just felt like everything, like we, we just, we couldn't, no, not enough people were getting born again. Um, I don't know if, you, if we've met, I can be a little, um, I can be a lot for people sometimes. <laughs> That's a little bit too big of an amen from one of our leaders. So it was like the back door of the church was bigger than the front door of the church. And I had this, I was, Josie and I were seeking God, and I had this vision, and the Lord really dealt with me. He said, listen, I am pouring out a harvest of grain, but the basket that you're trying to contain the grain is full of holes. So revival comes in the form of grain. The basket is what contains it, and your basket has holes. So Josie and I and the team, we really went to studying systems. And that's when uh, some of you were around back then and we implemented changes to the way we do things. We changed our basket. We changed our system. We said, yes, Lord, we want more of your harvest and we're gonna do a better job of plugging the holes, creating systems for you to fill. And then uh, the church has you know, more than doubled, almost tripled since then. So that's, we praise God for that. But now the last couple of weeks, Josie and I, when we seek the Lord, like just the other day, Josie goes, Remember that basket we built about six years ago? I was like, yeah. She's like, I think the Lord wants us to throw it out and start over. Like we're in a new season where I don't wanna love the basket more than I love the harvest. I don't wanna love the old wineskin if God wants to pour out a new wine. I, I don't wanna be blind to the fact that we might have new holes in our basket. Or maybe God, it, it, the basket's too small and he wants to give us something bigger for a bigger harvest. So be on the lookout. We might be making some changes over the next few months because we're not gonna love the king more than we're gonna love the priest and vice versa. We're gonna use both seeking God together. If God wants to pour out a new wine, then we're gonna need a new wineskin. All right, I'm gonna give you seven characteristics of the king-priest model. So Revelation chapter one is where we started, and that's where John and Jesus said, all y'all that have been washed in the blood of Jesus, you are kings and priests. Now flip over a couple of pages to Revelation chapter five. John is still um, seeing a vision, a picture of heaven. He's writing everything down. And by the way, I love how we have sanitized church and made church like socially normal. And like we have made church like politically correct. Some Christians are gonna get to heaven and be like, what the heck is actually happening here? Why does that thing have eyeballs all over its entire body? Why does that thing have three heads? Read your Bible. Our church is not that weird. So, Revelation chapter five, jump into verse 10. John is seeing all these people falling on their face in the presence of God, in the throne room, falling on their face before Jesus. He said, you, Lord Jesus, you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. 
I looked and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. In the ancient Greek, John was saying the number was countless. Verse 12, these countless crowds of people when they were bowing down and worshiping Jesus, they were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb. We just celebrated the Passover lamb. We celebrated Easter. Worthy is the lamb to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. Can you guys just leave that verse up for a minute? So we've already established Jesus is the king of kings. So therefore, we worship Jesus based on the attributes of him as king of kings, but he is also our great high priest. Read the book of Hebrews. So we worship the king of kings and we worship the great high priest. So therefore, these seven characteristics that are attributed to the lamb that was slain, these are the characteristics of a fully mature king and priest. We're worshiping Jesus for who he is. So, well, go back to verse 10. He made us kings and priests so that we shall reign on the earth. He made us kings and priests so that we, the redeemed, shall reign on the earth. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God on the earth. King Jesus is enthroned over Eulis because of you and him living on the inside of you. So these seven words that describe Jesus as a king priest should also describe you. This is the king priest model. So we reign as his small K kings on the earth. He is the king with a capital K, but he is deputized us. He has empowered us and sent us out to represent his kingdom on the earth. And don't forget the word represent means re-present Jesus wherever we go. So these seven things should be your seven things, that we would walk in the kingdom of God's power, we would walk in God's riches, in the Holy Spirit's wisdom, in God's strength, in, in honor, in glory, and in blessing. First, let's look at the first one. Number one was power. Jesus had finished his ministry on the earth. He's going back to heaven. He said, you guys are gonna continue to do the same works that I have been doing, but I will not leave you powerless. Acts chapter one and verse eight, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then with that power, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Or in Eulis, the mid-cities, DFW, Texas, United States, and everywhere your passport will take you. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to empower us to do the same things that he did. To heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. Rinse, repeat. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. Jesus literally said, go and do likewise. So we advance the kingdom of God all around the world through his power. And signs and wonders and miracles will confirm the gospel. 
He said, I'm going to give you power, and then I want you to take that power, that gospel message, to the nations. Can I tell you something? When Jesus told the 12, at that time it was still 11 disciples, when Jesus told the 11 disciples, you're going to have power, and then I want you to take the gospel to the nations, Jesus was asking them to do an impossible thing. These were unemployed people that had just followed a rabbi for three and a half years that had just been killed and is about to, now he's alive and about to go back to heaven. These guys had no money. And he's like, I'm going to give you my power and then I want you to go take a worldwide trip. And they were like, okay, that sounds really expensive. Plane tickets are expensive. So number two is riches. You're going to need some riches to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God walks on streets of gold. God's not afraid of money. And being unwise, getting into debt, being broke doesn't represent King Jesus on the earth very well. So I'm glad you have a strong prophetic gift, but you need to learn from the kings how to manage your money better. Because in Proverbs chapter 10, it says the blessing of the Lord will make a person rich and he's not gonna add any sorrow to it. And then this people over here are like, I know, but bless God, the Bible says that is the love of money that is the root of all evil. Well, don't, don't love it. Have money in your hands, not in your heart. It's good preaching, right? Kings are good with money. Priests need money to spread the gospel. So don't be afraid of wealth. Just learn to manage it well. Otherwise, it'll manage you. The third thing you're going to need as a king priest is wisdom. See, both kings and priests are very wise. And the Bible said that the Holy Spirit will give us wisdom. James told the people in 1.5, guys, if you need wisdom, just ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. He's not going to rebuke you. He's going to give you more wisdom than you know what to do with. Josie and I pray about just about everything. We have literally prayed over which restaurant to go to. And I know that sounds super spiritual, but here's the deal. God is a lot smarter than we are. So we ask for wisdom. Kings operate in wisdom, but so do priests. Because the priests don't want to have their time wasted. Priests don't want to be attacked by the enemy. So kings and priests need the wisdom of God. And do you want to use your intellect or lean not on your own understanding and use the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit? God will give you his playbook. You can cheat. All you have to do is ask for wisdom. Yeah. Strength. You do all these things, you're going to start getting stronger. Two weeks ago, I had fun making fun of the young people. Because young people, anybody, ask anybody under 30, how you doing? <laughs> Tired. <laughs> really? You went to bed early, got a good night's sleep? No, I was up playing video games. Is that why you came 20 minutes late for this meeting that just ended? Being tired, being weak, is not how kings act. It's not how priests act either. There's a better way that you're invited into. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. His strength, not my strength. I can do everything through Christ. I can do everything through, because I'm going to use his strength. My strength, totally going to run out. God's strength, will never run out. I can do anything through Christ because I'm gonna, I'm gonna cheat, I'm gonna use his strength. Isaiah chapter 40, those who trust in the Lord, 
They're going to find new strength. It's so easy to trust in your own intellect. It's so easy to trust in your own talents, your own wealth, your own influence. But he's saying, if you just trust in the Lord, you'll find new strength. You're going to soar high like, a, like an eagle. You're going to run and not grow weary. You're going to walk and not faint. Three years ago, uh, with the family, we were up in um, Yellowstone, and we were on a, a, a lake there. And it was beautiful. It was like a postcard. It was just like, like God just kissed Montana and Wyoming. It was just stunning. And we were just sitting on these big rocks looking at the water just quietly. And all of a sudden, I heard whoosh. Nothing. Like an angel just went by and waved, you know. A few minutes later, whoosh. And we just caught it. It was like an eight-foot wingspan of a bald eagle. He wasn't flying. He was just whooshing, looking for something. No effort, just arms out, just whooshing. But like, it had like bass to it. Like, he was moving some air. He wasn't using his own strength. He was using the strength of the wind. Ministry's not hard when you don't use your strength, but use his wind of his Holy Spirit to blow in you. It's supernatural. Of course you're getting tired serving the Lord. You're using your strength. Let the Holy Spirit come over and go, whoosh. The kings are like, that sounds like a priest. If you thought that, you need a whoosh of the Holy Ghost. We're not meant to operate in our own strength. Kings and priests, they tap into God's strength. And Jesus is not a weak, limp-wristed king. His body on earth shouldn't be either. Honor, number five, we honor Jesus because Jesus is the king of kings. He is worthy of all honor and praise and glory. We exalt him, we bless him, we lift him up because he is worthy to be honored. But we are his representatives on the earth. So therefore, we are a people of honor. We should give honor to others and we should receive honor from others. We sh why? Everyone is created in the image of God. Picture somebody that you saw on the news or social media this week that in your flesh, you were like, Ugh, I, don't like, I don't like the way they vote, I don't like the way they think, I don't like who they support. That's such a demonic way. Because that person, even though they completely disagree with everything that you believe, was created in the image of God. So therefore, they're worthy of honor. Peter said it like this, and if you've read your Bible, Peter was kind of a loud mouth. I can't really relate, but Peter was kind of a hothead. Peter would often speak before thinking. Again, I can't really relate, but he, he was just like, bah, Peter, right? Here's what he says to the church. Hey, y'all need to honor everybody. Love your brothers, fear God. Oh yeah, and honor the emperor. Now, I'm not 100% sure when this was written, but the emperor, the Caesar in Rome that he's referring to was probably Nero. Do you know what Nero was famous for? Killing Christians. He would gather up whole you groups full of Christians, take them to the Colosseum, and then let the lions and gladiators tear them to pieces. Peter says, yeah, I know, but the emperor was created in the image of God, therefore we should honor him. We should speak life over him on Instagram and Facebook. We shouldn't share that thing that you want to share so badly because it doesn't honor people well. There's no hatred, there's no slander, there's no division, there's honor. We give honor and we receive honor. When somebody's trying to bless you and honor you, you should receive it. Head up, shoulders back, why? 
because you represent the King of Kings. The final, the sixth one is glory. Jesus is worthy of all the glory. He is the Alpha, the Omega. He is the risen Savior. He is the bright and morning star. He is the one of whom all of our affections adore. But he wants us to be kings and priests. So therefore, he wants us to experience his presence. I'm going to mess with your theology a little bit. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, a famous verse about sin. Everybody has sinned, so because of our sin, we've fallen short of the glory of God. Bummer. Because of our sin, we fall short of experiencing God's glory. Hold up, hold up, wait, 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 wait. Didn't you repent of your sin, ask Jesus to forgive you? What happened to your sin? It's gone, wiped away. So if the sin is no longer the problem, as a follower of Jesus, you are entitled and invited into experiencing his glory. Moses. Moses is up on the top of Mount Sinai. God is speaking to him. He's writing down all the rules and the laws. One time Moses says, God, can I see your glory? Like, would you let your glory pass over the mountain? And the Lord's like, ah, no, it's going to kill you. Why? Because of his sin. Why? Because the blood of Jesus hadn't removed his sin yet. You have a greater relationship with God than Moses had. Moses' sin was just occasionally covered by the blood of the Lamb. Your sin has been removed by the blood of the Lamb. So God says, all right, you want to experience my glory? I'm going to hide you behind this rock so I don't kill you. But then the glory of the Lord passed over. It wasn't for Moses' gain. It was for God to be exalted. When we experience the presence and glory of God, it's not for our benefit. It's because it refreshes us, it recharges us. It's like we're batteries that are always running low, but then when we plug into his glory, it refreshes us and it recharges us. Kings and priests were created to walk in the presence and glory of God. And, and not just walk in it, receive it and then share it. You were created to be a carrier of the glory of God. And then whatever room you walk into, you leak God's glory on everybody. You should change the atmosphere into every room you walk into because you're an ambassador of the king and his glory. Hop up on your feet for the number seven. Number seven is blessing. And I know Christians are terrible, especially like American Christians. We're the worst. Like, hashtag blessed. Like, I got this parking space right at the front of Target. I'm so blessed. Over the kid, hey, I got a bonus and a raise and a promotion at work. I'm so blessed. Kings love this kind of blessing. Do you know that the blessing of God is not like a Jesus rabbit's foot? I don't think we get how blessing works. In the spring in Texas, every day is like 30, 40 mile an hour winds. I don't know why. I've heard it said that it's because, oh, I can't do that joke in church. It's the one that says, you know why it's always windy in Texas? It's because Oklahoma and God. That's Brad. So, when it's windy, you don't actually see the wind. Like, you can't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. 
The wind is moving things in the natural. So then in worship, in prayer, we're crying out to God's Holy Spirit to move. Now, we, we don't see the Holy Spirit moving, but we feel his presence, and it's moving things on the earth. The blessing of God, you're not actually going to see it with your eyeballs, but it is a real and tangible, tactile thing in the kingdom of God, and it moves things on the earth. Kings and priests walk in blessing. Genesis chapter 27, here's some more homework for you. At the end of his life, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Isaac had the blessing from Abraham. And Isaac was about to die, he's an older man, so he's gonna give it to his older son Esau. So he's like, hey, go get Esau, I'm ready to go, I'm gonna put my hand on Esau and I'm gonna bless him. Isaac and his mom get a hold of this information, I'm sorry, Jacob and his mom, and Jacob deceives his father. His dad was almost blind, he couldn't see. So Jacob tricks his dad, Isaac, into giving him the blessing. He prays over him, he blesses him. The deception is exposed. Esau comes in, he's like, where's my blessing? It's supposed to be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But for 5,000 years, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because Jacob stole the blessing. So Esau said, what do I get? And Isaac's like, nothing. I already gave the blessing. I can't take it back. It's a real and tangible thing. Blessings have power. Blessings have weight. Blessings mean something in the kingdom of God. Blessings translate to the favor of God. We occupy territory because of the blessing of God. Kings and priests don't listen to country music because of God's blessing. Why? Because our trucks don't break down, our dogs don't die, and our girlfriend doesn't cheat on us. We're blessed. I'm blessed when I come in. I'm blessed when I go out. We advance the kingdom of God because of the blessing of God. Kings and priests will always represent those seven things, those seven aspects in your life. You will always represent God's power, God's riches, God's wisdom, God's strength, God's honor, his glory, and his blessing. And the devil always wants to attack those seven areas of your life. So you have to fight for those things. You have to protect those things. You have to perfect those things because that's how kings and priests mature. And I want you to ask, when we go into this time of ministry, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, hey, is there any of those seven things that I'm good at and I can help others? And is there any of those seven things that I'm terrible at and I need help from others? And then when you're in you group this week, pull somebody aside and be like, hey, I wrote this down on Sunday. I feel like I'm good at this and this, but I struggle with these two. And I noticed that you're good at this. Can you help me in my life? I wanna get better in these seven areas of my life. I also want you to ask Holy Spirit while we're, while we're in ministry, Lord, am I more of naturally a king or naturally a priest? Because here's why. If you naturally are bent for more intellect, more planning, more scheduling, more governing, more finances, more spreadsheets, praise God. God made you that way. I need you to lean into the priest. I need you to lean into the prophetic. I need you to lean into signs, wonders, miracles. I need you to lean into the kingdom of God moving in power on the earth. If this is your world, this is your, you, you just love all of this. If, if you, whoever the craziest, most banana prophetic person that you follow on Instagram is over here, I need you to pay your bills on time. Show up on time. Do your laundry. Stop being late. Make a budget. Make a plan. 
organize revival, it'll last longer. All of us are invited into this king-priest relationship. Only a few people get really good at it. Let me finish with this. The invitation, what gets your ticket punched into a king-priest relationship is the blood of Jesus. We don't deserve it. We're not worthy of it. Because of our sin, we're separated from it. But because of his blood, it removes our sin. It washes away our sin. We're perfected in Jesus. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and you're not right with God, you've got sin in your life that has not been washed away by the blood of Jesus, today is your day to repent. Ask God to forgive you and start your journey on a king-priest relationship with the Lord. You have an ambassadorship on the earth. It might be the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like this. You've never seriously asked God to forgive you. You've never seriously asked the blood of Jesus to wash away your sin. Today is your day. For a lot of people, especially in Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, yeah, I prayed that prayer 10 years ago. I prayed that prayer 20 years ago. It's been a minute, and you've allowed a lot of sin back into your life. Today is your day to ask the Lord to forgive you, wash you, and cleanse you, and begin your journey as a king and a priest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you. Our hearts, we, we, we just adore you. You are the king of kings. You are the one that we adore. You are the one that we honor and we exalt. You are the one that is a perfect king and you are a perfect priest. You are the king of kings. You are our great high priest. We bless you and we worship you. But Father, you have deputized us to extend and expand your kingdom on the earth. You have called us to reign and rule for you and with you. So Lord, we're gonna need some help. We're gonna need an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. If we're naturally good at one, we've got to be good at the other. And the two are not in tension against each other. The two work together that there is a wine skin and that we're asking God for a new wine of your Holy Spirit to be poured out in our church. None of it is possible but your grace and your love, your mercy, your compassion for us. None of it is possible except by your blood. You were the lamb that was slain. So Lord, I feel like there's people here this morning that are here in this room and watching online and they're still wrestling with this sin issue. Lord, if there's people here today, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower them, strengthen them right now. Open their eyes to see your love and your power and your goodness, your invitation into this deeper. This is not just going to church. This is not just saying I'm a Christian. This is so much more than that, that I am a king and a priest for the Lord Jesus on the earth. So Lord, we embrace that. We say yes to that. And if there's people here today that need to repent, need to ask for forgiveness, I pray Holy Spirit that you would give them the strength to pray this prayer. Church, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you're not right with God, I wanna lead you in a prayer to ask God to forgive you of your sin. He will wash away your sin. He will empower you to be his ambassador on the earth. But it starts with you bowing before his throne and saying, God, forgive me, I'm so sorry. It might be the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like this. It might be the first time in a very long time. If you're here this morning and you need to pray that prayer to get right with God, first time or first time in a long time, I can pray for you, I can pray with you, but I can't pray for you. You see, it has to be from your heart. I can lead you, but I can't say it for you. I would like to know who I'm praying for. If that's you this morning, would you just shoot your hand up real high? 
and just say, just wave it at me and say, preacher, that's me. I'm going to get right with God today. I see your hand and I see your hand, your hand, your hand, your hand. Who else? Where is it? Raise them up. I see your hand over there. Yeah, I see it. I see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, God. All right. Yeah, God. What up, YouTube? Five or six people shot their hand up right away and said, today is my day to get right with God. I'm not playing any games. I'm going to be a king and a priest on the earth, right there between you and God, right there between you and YouTube. If that's you and your heart's pounding out of your chest and you need to get right with God, just shoot your hand up and say, preacher, I'm going to be a part of this prayer. Listen, if you believe this, I want you to pray this out loud. Repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, I repent of all of my sin. Wash me. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Forgive me for sinning against you. I receive the adoption into your family. I receive the invitation to be your bride. I receive the calling to be a king and a priest. Thank you for the gift of eternal life of your love. I receive your power and your Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord, to be an ambassador of the kingdom of God on the earth. In Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. Hey, for you five or six, I am so proud of you. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Wow, wow, wow. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship God, but I want to pray for you. I'd like our prayer team to come down to the front. If you're, if you're watching at home online or you were one of those that got right with God today, you need to do a few things. You need to get baptized in water, just like the four people did uh, during worship today. We would like to screw in a light bulb on our Jesus wall over here. So especially for those of you that are watching at home online, would you pull out your phone and text the word, the name Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to 817-405-2244. That's going to send you an auto-response form. Fill out that form and click submit. We're going to begin to pray for you and encourage you in your walk with God. And we're going to put your name on a light bulb and screw it into our wall over here that spells out the name of Jesus. If you're here this morning... Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.